President Biden's foot is on the gas, hoping he can drive to a Democratic victory. The lead starts right now. The White House announces a new release of oil from the nation's stockpile. Is it enough to make a dent in gas prices? And perhaps as importantly for the president, put the brakes on predicted Republican gains in the midterms. Then, martial law, Vladimir Putin with that frightening and desperate declaration today in Ukrainian territory that Russia illegally annexed. People in those regions being forced to evacuate. Why Putin is making the move now. And then, prices up, taxes down? Possibly the one good thing about inflation, the changes you could see in your paycheck and on your tax returns. Hello and welcome to The Lead. I'm John Berman, in for Jay Tapper, and we begin today in our world lead. In just a few minutes, Russian President Vladimir Putin's declaration of martial law goes into effect in four areas of Ukraine illegally annexed by Russia. This despite the fact that Putin's army does not even have full control over these areas. And as Russia's campaign to plunge Ukraine into darkness continues, Ukrainian energy officials say they had no choice but to introduce blackouts after losing at least 40% of the country's power-generating capacity following days of devastating Russian cruise missile and drone strikes. Russian missiles hit at least three power stations just today, that is according to Ukraine. Seen as Nick Robertson is in the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv, where officials are laser-focused on keeping the lights on and continuing their southern offensive. Ukrainian civilians now under Russian martial law in Hershon City lined up to be evacuated, potentially to Russia. Russian-imposed officials in illegally annexed Kherson have told them it's not safe to stay. Up to 60,000 forced out. Boats used to ferry them away from the front line and their homes to an uncertain future. I bought extra clothes for my dog, my other half, my antidepressant. Ukrainian officials have accused Russia of whipping up hysteria, compelling people to leave. Residents received text messages Wednesday morning from the pro-Russian administration. Dear residents, it read, evacuate immediately. There will be shelling of residential areas by the armed forces of Ukraine. The punishment under martial law for failing to comply, unknown. The threat, clear. I ask you to take my words seriously and to understand them as meaning as prompt an evacuation as possible. Vladimir Putin is tightening his grip, not just on Hershon, but Donetsk, Luhansk and Zaporizhia, the four territories he illegally annexed last month, all put under military command. Ukrainian forces have been advancing through several parts of the Hershon region in recent weeks, capturing villages and farmlands along the western bank of the Dnipro River. The Kremlin's new commander for Ukraine said Tuesday that the situation in Hershon was far from simple and implicitly hinted his forces may withdraw. Our further plans and actions regarding the city of Kherson will depend on the unfolding military and tactical situation on the ground. I repeat, it is already very difficult today. Across the rest of Ukraine, 
Putin's forces kept up their barrage on power stations. And despite at least four cruise missiles and ten drones shot down by Ukrainian forces, another three electricity-generating plants hit. More Ukrainians denied power and water. Amid those dwindling supplies, President Zelensky calling a crisis meeting to head off a nationwide blackout, vowing to keep critical infrastructure up and running. But the cost of doing that is going to be rolling blackouts for the country officials saying between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. people to expect less electricity. But Putin may be turning out the lights here, but it's the Ukrainians that are still taking the key commodity, and that's territory. John? Yeah, lights for territory might be a trade that Ukrainians want to make this evening. Nick Robertson in Kyiv, stay safe. Thank you so much. Now in Russia, following the martial law announcement, President Vladimir Putin is warning of increased security risks declaring a maximum-level response in the four Ukrainian territories he annexed, medium security response in regions inside Russia along its internationally recognized borders, and heightened security response across southern and central Russia, which includes Moscow. Because Matthew Chance is there now. Matthew, what is it like in the Russian capital compared to what you've seen in the past? Oh, well, it's a good question. And actually, it does feel a lot tenser than I've seen in the past. You're seeing a lot more sort of police on the streets, a lot more posters uh, talking about, you know, the heroes of, of Russia that are fighting in what they call their special uh, military operation, military posters, in other words. Um, but there's also some, uh, you know, some other things. I mean, you know, anecdotally, I think you can say that you know, you're seeing I'm seeing much you know, far less people, far fewer people um, in the streets than I would normally expect to see, specifically men. Um, and that's, I think, talks to the fact that a lot of men of military age are either they've either left the country, tens of thousands, of course, if not hundreds of thousands. We've seen evacuating the country to avoid the military draft. Others are simply staying low profile because there have been countless incidents of people being picked up on the street by the authorities and drafted um, straight into the military. So military age men are avoiding that. I'd also say that I think, you know, prices have really shot up here. And that's, I think, really important for ordinary Russians. I mean, it's difficult to give you a gauge of how expensive things are here, but it's like seven or eight bucks for a cup of coffee, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and, uh, and so that has a, a massive impact. It shows that the sanctions that Russia is currently suffering under and has been imposed upon it uh, by much of the international community, including the United States, are having an impact on uh, the cost of living here, which has become very very high indeed. Also, John, I'd say that you know, in the past when I've come here, people didn't even think about the conflict in Ukraine, the special military operation. Now there is a definite sense of trepidation that things are not going, uh, the, you know, are not going Russia's way. Uh, and that's something that I haven't seen before here in the past several months. Matthew Chance, it's great to have you there in Moscow. Thank you so much. Back here in the United States today, a blunt message from former Vice President Mike Pence. Listen to this. There can be no room in the conservative movement for apologists for Putin. There is only room in this movement for champions of freedom. So this comes after House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy defended his comments, warning Republicans won't write a blank check to Ukraine if Republicans win control of the House. 
It's amazing to me that that somehow made news. Wouldn't you want a check and balance in Congress? Wouldn't you want this hardworking taxpayer's money, someone overseeing it? Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois joins us right now. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us. Do you feel surprised that it made news when Kevin McCarthy suggested that Ukrainian aid may not be as forthcoming if Republicans take control of Congress? No, I'm not surprised at all because, look, we've had very strong bipartisan support for Ukraine and and Ukraine fighting against Russia. Uh, What Kevin McCarthy said, maybe in his mind he actually did believe that all he was saying is, hey, we want to have some oversight in this. But what he did was give a really strong, I I mean, I guarantee you, first off, you know, our our evening friends on maybe a different news network are going to be talking about this constantly. Uh, Folks over at Russia are going to be talking about this constantly on RT. You're giving aid and comfort to the enemy intentionally or unintentionally. And there are a lot of people, frankly, in the world that are worried about what a Republican majority could do, not because of the majority of Republicans. Majority of Republicans support Ukraine, but because you know, if it's a 10 vote majority and people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has made it clear that, you know, Vladimir Putin is basically some defender of Christianity has her way, uh, it would be pretty tough to get stuff through Congress. Do you think that those groups are having an influence on McCarthy when it comes to Ukraine? Oh, for sure. I mean, look, again, Kevin may not have changed his view on Ukraine, But he is out there trying to sound his whole point in going out and giving that interview uh, is to try to 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 assuage those folks to try to assuage the intense, intense uh, kind of members of the party that he knows he's going to need to be speaker. I think yesterday or two days ago, Marjorie Taylor Greene had made an offhanded comment about how if Kevin wants to make the base happy, he's going to have to give her a lot of power in the next Congress. She's actually probably right. That's what's probably going to be required for him to win. So yeah, they are having an influence with him. And I'm not going to be there next year. But those that are going to be there that think kind of normally, if you will, about things like Ukraine and Russia probably should speak up right now, or they're going to be led around by the wrong people the next Congress. So today, the Israeli Defense Minister, Benny Gantz, ruled out sending weapons to Ukraine, though it will help Israel will develop Ukraine's air defense systems. You reacted to this news writing, Why is Israel so afraid? Hopefully not because of politics. So what politics are you referring to there? Well, so look, there's there's uh, very much Russian influence within uh, Israel in terms of trying to keep coalitions together. Israel claims that they're concerned about the Russian influence in Syria. But look, here's the thing. Israel is a tough country now Uh, to their credit. I'm a huge fan of Israel. I'm a huge defender of Israel. And it's time that I think we recognize that Israel needs to be a player on the world stage in some of these things. When their arch enemy, Iran, is supplying some of the main terroristic attacks against Ukraine, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just can't understand how Israel, coming from the history that, you know, the Jews came from in World War II uh, to where we are today, would not be supportive of Ukraine's fight. Uh, And... I can't think of any other reason except maybe there's a political question or whatever. I have spoken directly, by the way, to the uh, to the Israeli ambassador to the United States. I have made my point clear to him personally, uh, and uh, they still haven't seemed to change, despite that since I talked to him, you now have these drones and these rockets going from Iran to uh, to Russia to be used in Ukraine. 
I want to turn quickly to the January 6th committee of which you are a member. Your fellow Republican on the committee, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, says the subpoena for Donald Trump is coming shortly. Can you define shortly? Will it happen by Friday? Uh, shortly, I'll define that as soon. Um, that's up to the, the chairman. It's when he uh, when he has it, uh, you know, when he puts it out, that'll be his to announce. But I think we've made it clear that that'll be that'll be coming. Uh, nothing's changed on that front. And, uh, you know, we'll see where we go from here again. U.S. law is if you are subpoenaed by Congress, you're expected to come in and speak to us. Republican Congressman Adam, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. See ya. President Biden today trying to pump the brakes on soaring gas prices, what he can do to drive down the costs ahead of the midterms. Then to Iran, where a female athlete returned today after a competition in which she did not wear her hijab more on the fears for her safety now that she is back home. And candidate checkup, Democratic Senate hopeful John Fetterman, who is still recovering from a stroke, responds to critics by sharing a doctor's note. We are back with our politics lead. 20 days to go before the midterm elections, and President Biden is tackling what could be a major political liability today, gas prices. This afternoon, the president announced he is authorizing the release of an additional 15 million barrels from the strategic reserves for December, and he is prepared to do it again in the future if he needs to. For context, the United States uses about 20 million barrels a day, so critics are already wondering how much good this new release will do. President Biden hopes it will calm markets and keep the price of gasoline reasonable. And it is worth noting prices are down over the last week. As CNN's MJ Lee reports, the timing of these announcements reveals a White House in political triage mode determined to claw back any advantage it can as voters head to the polls. They're not falling fast enough. Families are hurting. President Biden announcing his latest move to try to bring down gas prices. The U.S. releasing another 15 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in December. Independent analysts have confirmed that drawdowns on the reserve so far have played a big role in bringing down oil prices, bringing them down. So we're going to continue to responsibly use that national asset. Biden also delivering a stern message to oil companies. You should not be using your profits to buy back stock or for dividends. Not now. Not while a war is raging. You should be using these record-breaking profits to increase production and refining. Invest in America for the American people. This announcement, the latest in a string of significant actions taken by the Biden White House this year to try to keep costs at the pump under control and stabilize global energy prices. Those 15 million barrels are a part of 180 million barrels from the Strategic Reserve that the administration previously announced would be released over the course of six months. There's no question that they are too high, and the president that's why the president's taking every step to bring them down. In the final stretch before the midterm elections, White House officials closely tracking inflation and gas prices in particular as a top political concern. The ongoing war in Ukraine, major supply chain disruptions, and OPEC Plus's recent decision to pull back on oil production, all contributing to the ongoing volatility in the global energy market. In the U.S., while prices at the pump came down consistently for a stretch earlier this summer, in more recent weeks, again started to tick up. The national average gas price today, $3.85. 
up from $3.68 a month ago. Those numbers impossible for Democrats to ignore as they try to minimize their political losses next month. And 9 in 10 voters say the economy is extremely or very important to their vote. Biden on Wednesday rejecting the suggestion that the latest oil release has to do with politics. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. These oil releases so far have already been unprecedented, but there could be more coming. We heard President Biden saying earlier today that he has basically instructed his team to be prepared to make future releases if they feel like they become necessary. He says this is his ready and release plan. Uh, the White House, of course, is also facing some questions about the timeline. Timeline: How much longer are they going to take these kinds of actions? They're non-committal for now, which is just another sign that they do believe that high gas prices prices could be an issue for the foreseeable future, John. MJ Lee at the White House, great to have you on the lead. Thank you so much. I want to bring in the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm. Secretary, thank you so much for being with us. 15 million barrels of oil from the strategic reserves. That is less than the country uses in a single day. So how much of a difference will that make? Well, I mean, if you look at what we've been doing, it's about a million barrels a day for the past six months. Yes, we use much more than that. But the point is, this is sold on a global market and everything at the margins helps. And so we want to increase that supply to try to bring down price and to moderate supply and demand as we move into this winter. So bring down gas prices. What do you say to critics who say this this is beyond what the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was really intended for? No, this is a wartime footing. The president declared an emergency back in March when we first decided that we would be releasing a million barrels per day. Why is that? It's because Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia is a major oil producer. When they invaded Ukraine and all these countries said that they were not going to accept Russian oil, that pulled millions of barrels off the market. We also know that uh, the UK, that the EU are taking action again to stop the import of Russian fossil fuels. That may have another impact. We've seen what OPEC has done. The point is, it's traded on a global market. We are subject to what global actions are doing, but we can't, we have the biggest supply of any country in the world, which is our strategic petroleum reserve. We have over 400 million barrels in it, and we're going to do what we can to try to stabilize prices in the United States. So you heard in MJ Lee's piece, the president call uh, on oil producers here in the United States to invest in oil refineries, put money into refineries. But you hear what they say. They say, look, this isn't a great investment for us over the last few years because of this concerted push to move away uh, from, from crude oil and things like that. So so how do you convince? No, I mean, honestly, one of the pieces of the announcement today was a commitment to replenish our strategic petroleum reserve at a price fixed so that their investors and the oil companies can have certainty and confidence that what they produce will be purchased by the United States uh, to replenish the strategic petroleum reserve as one measure. We know that, I mean, oil and gas is not going away. We certainly hope that there is a movement to electrify transportation, but we also hope that the oil and gas industry diversify into um, energy companies that are more broad than just fossil fuels. We know that we're going to have fossil fuels, but we also know we're going to have clean energy. And one of the announcements today that the president made was to invest in the battery supply chain for electric vehicles so that the United States is creating jobs here instead of relying on supply from China. Talk to me more about that, this investment in the U.S. battery supply chain. 
How soon and in what ways will American consumers see an impact there? This is so exciting, John, because we all know that we want to be able to bring manufacturing back to the United States, and the president is determined to bring supply chains back here. Well, this is from the bipartisan infrastructure law. It was an announcement of $2.3 billion, excuse me, $2.8 billion to 20 companies all over America who are building components for those electric batteries that up to this point were done in other countries. So he's bringing manufacturing back to America, good paying manufacturing jobs. It's, it's just the first step on the energy side of all of these announcements that we will be making that really beef up America's supply chain. And by the way, of course, the batteries for the electric vehicles, if, you're, if we are able to bring down the cost of electric vehicles by expanding supply of battery manufacturing in the United States, states driving down the price of that technology and the tax credits that were a part of the Inflation Reduction Act, meaning that everyday citizens can get $7,500 at the dealer off of a car that's manufactured in the United States, that brings down the price too. So a source tells CNN that the $2.8 billion is going to go to 20 companies across 12 states. And I was looking at the list there and I can't help but notice Ohio, Georgia, North Carolina, Nevada there, states that happen to have really competitive Senate races. Just curious about uh, how you respond to, to critics who say, oh, this is pretty political, some of these announcements just 20 days before an election. Absolutely not. This is done by the scientists at our national labs, the professionals who are determining which of these proposals have the best chance of being successful in the United States. You'll notice there was none in Delaware. There was none in Michigan. There was, these are all done based upon the, the, the excellence of the proposals. Yeah, Alabama, Louisiana. There were there were states, Tennessee. There were states that did not have competitive set of races either. Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm, thank you for being with us. Appreciate you bet, John. It. Thanks for having me. A federal judge today says there is proof Donald Trump knew the election fraud claims he pushed were lies and wants the evidence turned over to Congress. The details just coming in. That's next. All right, this just in. A federal judge says former President Donald Trump knew his claims about voter fraud in the 2020 election were false and is ordering former Trump attorney John Eastman to turn over hundreds of emails to House investigators, calling them communications in furtherance of a crime. CNN's Jessica Snyder joins us live with much more on this. Jessica, once again, you're pouring over this judge's ruling right now, speed reading. This is, seems like a remarkable development. What's going on here? Yeah, an 18-page opinion here, John. And this is actually the second time that this federal judge out of California has said that there was some criminal activity that was ongoing between the former president and his attorney, John Eastman. So what's happening now is the judge is mandating the release of these emails from John Eastman to the January 6th committee, where Eastman reveals that back in uh, December 2020, Trump submitted court filings that Trump knew were false. And the judge put it this way. He said, these emails show that President Trump knew that the specific numbers of voter fraud were wrong, but continued to tout those numbers both in court and to the public. And the judge went on to say here that these emails must now be released to the January 6th committee in particular because they do show criminal activity, meaning they wouldn't be shielded by attorney-client privilege. And namely, the criminal activity, this judge says, is conspiracy to defraud uh, the United States here. So again, this is reference of likely act criminal activity between the former president and John Eastman. The judge previously, John, did mandate the release of other emails, 
precisely because of this, because of possible evidence of a crime. So these latest emails, eight in all, they'll now be handed over to the committee. But perhaps more crucially here, John, this could um, add more evidence to the already ongoing probes that are happening in Georgia from the district attorney's office, Fonnie Willis there, as well as the Department of Justice that has this ongoing probe of all things January 6th as well. This now showing that Trump knowingly lied to a court, which could prove grounds for um, for some criminal charges if the uh, law enforcement entities choose to go that route, which who knows if they will, John. And again, this judge leaning into the idea of the crime fraud exemption, which means that there is no attorney-client privilege if you are discussing a crime, if there is a crime committed in that discussion. In theory, that also applies to executive privilege. In theory, it applies to so much of what Donald Trump and his legal team and his advisors have tried to assert when they keep their communications private here. So how much of a can of worms does this open up for them going forward? Well, this is this judge that continues to say, Eastman, you cannot keep these emails private. Anything that shows this furtherance of criminal activity, it's not shielded. So it has to go to the committee. And by opening up these emails to the committee and handing them over, this also uh, presumably could be given to these law enforcement entities like the Georgia DA, uh, like the Department of Justice, who will now be seeing these and will have further grounds to further investigate and possibly lob uh, criminal charges here, John. All right, Jessica Snyder, as always, terrific work. Thank you so much for being with us. With me now, former special assistant to President Biden, Michael LaRosa, along with CNN political commentator S.E. Cup. And this news just came in a few minutes ago. This judge saying that Donald Trump knew his claims about the election were lies and that they were part of a conspiracy, the furtherance of a conspiracy to defraud the United States. Michael, your reaction? In the context of the midterms, the more we're talking about Donald Trump, the better it is for Democrats every day. This reminds people of everything that they, this reminds people why they voted against him. This reminds independents why they voted against him. So if you're on the fence and you're debating whether to vote or not, the more you hear about Donald Trump, the more likely you are to make this a referendum about the party and president out of power versus the party in power, which is very unusual. Yeah, I mean... uh I think Republicans knew the second Mar-a-Lago was searched and all of this was going to be um, in the news that more Donald Trump is bad for the party and bad coming into elections. Look, it's not it's not a crime to lie to the public. We know Donald Trump has lied to the public, but it is a crime to lie in court. Yeah. And when a judge says it, it tends to have more consequences for sure than in a political debate stage or or, or whatnot. Uh, moving now to the midterm, since you both have brought them up, mm-hmm. um, new data shows that nearly 2.5 million Americans have already cast their ballots, early votes for the for the, the midterms. That's the highest turnout that would tie with yeah. 2018, which would be the highest turnout in decades or tied for the highest turnout in decades. What can we read into this? Yeah. Who does it give the advantage to? Well, yeah, our polling has shown for a while now, um, really since Roe was overturned, um, that both enthusiasm and intensity toward this election is high, record high, um, historically high. And I think Roe had a lot to do with that initially. I think the economy has edged that um, up a bit, too. And look, that benefits, you know, um, one party versus the other. Roe certainly benefits Democrats. I think the economy benefits Republicans. I would add crime into that pile as well. And um, among a lot of voters, fear of losing our democracy and fear of voter suppression is a top priority that benefits Democrats. So I like to say we won't know until we know. Right. We won't know until exit polling why people vote the way they do. 
What do you think is going on here? The number that really startled me was the vote uh, the second day in Georgia. It um, was bigger than the presidential early vote the same day in 2020. That is very hard to do. A midterm vote turnout for a to match or overrun a, a, a presidential vote turnout in early voting. Democrats tend to do uh, or outperform Republicans in, in early voting. Typically, that's what happened in 2020 and 2018. Um, but I think, as he's right, I think like the the Supreme Court has given Democrats a reason to turn out. But we'll see. Yeah, more voting happens to be good for democracy. Mm-hmm. Period. W- whether it's good for one party yeah. or another, that's right. Maybe yeah. immaterial, mm-hmm. relatively immaterial. Mm-hmm. John Fetterman running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Of course, he had a stroke, released a medical note from his doctor that says he has, quote, no work restrictions and no cognitive deficits. This, of course, you know, he has faced questions about his recovery, hasn't released his full medical records yet. Is this enough to assuage critics? I think it is. I don't even think he needed the note, to be honest with you. Have you seen the guy is a political uh, athlete, one of the best ones I've ever seen. He's pure talent. He looks and sounds and acts like the state of Pennsylvania, similar to like a Tim Ryan, right? He is traveling all over the state of Pennsylvania and having, if rallies are a measurement of enthusiasm, like the former president used to measure, uh, this guy is holding rallies all over the, the state with huge numbers. He gave NBC, the Today Show, I think he gave them 45 minutes. Oz gave them 15. This guy has showed that he's more than capable of doing the job. I mean, I was concerned when I watched the NBC interview. I think it's uncontroversial to say we should ask questions. Um, I was concerned that he wasn't going to debate. We know he is now next week. That's good. I am um, reaffirmed, reassured, I mean, by um, this doctor's note. I believe doctors. I think it's right to ask these kinds of questions of all of our yeah, candidates. For sure. I don't think it makes you biased to no. do so. But I, t- I take this as um, a clean, clean bi- yeah. bill of health. It says you can do the job. Yeah. All right. I want to play a commercial that is being run by the Democrats uh, for Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia. This may surprise you in some of the language it uses. Listen. <laughs> Things work surprisingly well together. Pizza with pineapple. French fry and frosty. Raphael Warnock and Ted Cruz? That's right. Raphael Warnock partnered with Republican Ted Cruz to extend I-14, connecting military communities in Texas and Georgia, which will help create jobs from Columbus to Macon to Augusta. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I'll work with anyone if it means helping Georgia. Now, I can't say with certainty that Ted Cruz has never appeared in a Democratic Senate ad before, but I can't can't remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Why? Well, don't get me started on pineapple and pizza. And that, that's the mm-hmm. most controversial part of that ad. Um, I don't know what the benefit of naming Ted Cruz is if you're a Democrat in Georgia. I might have just said has worked with Republicans, will work with Republicans. I mean, Ted Cruz is reviled. And I think, you know, for plenty of reasons, I'm not sure that's who I would have name checked in my ad. Michael, yay Ted Cruz if you're a Democrat? <laughs> I, I think it was good. I, this is the second ad he's run touting uh, his work with a Republican. The other one was with Tommy Tuberville. And he has a long list of working with Republicans in the Senate. Cindy Smith, Another good one. <laughs> John Kennedy. No, I know. But what it says to me, it sounds like they're going after independent voters. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bernie Sanders hitting the campaign trail. Eight states swing to rally for candidates ahead of the election. This is what he told The New York Times in an interview. I'm a little bit concerned that the energy level for young people, working class people, is not as high as it should be. 
Michael, the Democrats have this this complicated relationship with Bernie Sanders over (laughs) the decades. Mm -hmm. Does this help? No. (laughs) I don't think it helps. I would he would not be the surrogate I would call in. I know he's coming to Pennsylvania. Fetterman is not he won't be with John Fetterman. He is not necessarily coming for these candidates. He's coming to get out the vote, like he said. But if he's you know, I, I saw some of those states, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida. Joe Biden beat him by 20 to 30 points in those Democratic primaries. The other problem for Democrats is shedding this character Republicans are very good at with tagging them as socialists. And that has a lot to do with Bernie Sanders. In Miami-Dade County, Biden did 20 points worse than Hillary as a result of, uh, of this messaging from Republicans on socialism. I don't know that you're... I don't know that like Bernie Sanders is in danger of losing Democratic voters. I think he's going after specific voters. Mm-hmm. He he could bring out some new voters. And I think in this, if you're a Democrat, you need all the help. Bring in all the troops. And Bernie Sanders speaks to a wing of the Democratic Party. Michael Essie, twice in one day. Very nice to see you <laughs> again. Thank you both very much. An Iranian athlete who broke Islamic law by competing without a head covering, now back home. She gave reasons why and apologize, but is that because she fears for her life? In our world lead, fresh alarm for the safety of an Iranian rock climber who competed abroad without wearing her job. Her brother defended her to a state-aligned news agency, saying his sister is, quote, a child of Iran and she will always play wearing the national team's uniform. It's unclear if he made those comments under duress. Seen as not a Bashir, has new details on her apology and her return to Iran. A hero's welcome amid a storm of controversy. Elnaz Rakabi's return to Tehran may have drawn crowds of supporters, but it was her appearance without a hijab or head covering at a climbing competition in South Korea, which drew the spotlight. This situation happened entirely accidentally. The struggle that I had with wearing my shoes and preparing my gear made me forget about the proper hijab that I should have had. I apologize to the people of Iran and for the turbulence and worry that I created for them. The pro athlete's words reiterating an earlier apology shared on her Instagram page. Though some human rights organizations have expressed concern that Rekabi may have been speaking under duress and could still face repercussions at home. The International Federation of Sport Climbing, however, says it has received clear assurances that Rekabi will not suffer any consequences and will continue to train and compete. Rekabi's return from Seoul comes amid ongoing protests across the country sparked by the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini, who died in the custody of Iran's notorious morality police after she was detained for allegedly wearing her hijab incorrectly. (laughs) Women and young girls have been openly defying the regime's conservative dress code. The Iranian rock climber has so far refrained from publicly voicing her support for the movement, but she has become yet another symbol of defiance for those protesting for change prompting fears that Rekabi could be used by the regime to set an example to other women. They just can't let it go uh, unpunished because they know how crucial it is to maintain this barrier of fear among people. Nada Bashir, CNN, London. And our thanks to Nada Bashir for that report. Inflation is taking a lot out of your wallet, but it could be putting some money back too. Up next... 
How changes the IRS is making will impact you. In our money lead, inflation may be pushing prices up, but it could also soon mean more money in your wallet. The IRS is announcing a change to federal income tax brackets, which could mean you'll be paying less to Uncle Sam starting next year. See, as Matt Egan has the details, Matt, you know, how much money can Americans expect to save in taxes? Well, John, normally these cost of living adjustments by the IRS don't really amount to much. The changes are pretty subtle. But today, inflation is so high that they have to make these sweeping changes. Let's start with the standard deduction, which is what most filers claim. That is going up by 7%. Some context that is the most since the cost of living adjustments were introduced in 1985 under Ronald Reagan. For individuals, that means the standard deduction is going up to almost $14,000. That is a $900 increase. At the same time, we are seeing the rates, the income thresholds, that has also gone up by 7%. For example, if you're a single filer, you made $90,000 in 2022, you're taxed at that 24% rate. If you still make $90,000 in 2023, you actually go down to the 22% rate. So you're getting taxed at a smaller amount. Same story for joint filers. Now, reminder, these changes do not take effect until 2023. So this won't help you on the tax returns you filed this coming April. Still, John, this is a bit of a silver lining for inflation because it does mean less money going to Uncle Sam, more money staying in our pockets. Right. 18 months from now, you will feel this. Or I guess you'll start feeling it withholding uh, in January. But but it, it could be some real money for people there. New jobs and mortgage reports coming out tomorrow. What are you expecting to see? Well, you know, it's going to be this um, mixed picture, right? The jobs market is still very strong. New numbers on initial jobless claims expected to show that layoffs remain relatively uncommon. Yes, some anecdotal evidence of some companies laying off workers, but it's not really showing up in a big way that would signal an ongoing or an imminent recession. On the other hand, mortgage rates have gone up very sharply. Uh, In the most recent report, we saw that the average 30-year fixed rate is now at 6.9%. Some context, that is the highest since April of 2002. Now, thankfully, most borrowers, they have a fixed rate, so they're not impacted by this. But if you're in the market for a new home, you want to trade up to a different home, this is going to make it that much harder because the higher mortgage rates go, the less home you can afford. And John, again, this all goes back to inflation. Mortgage rates are up because the Fed is fighting inflation by raising rates. And so we are seeing that play out big time in the housing market. All right, Matt Egan, thank you very much for that. And we'll be right back. All right, breaking news just in. U.S. Capitol Police have arrested three people from Georgia on weapons charges after police found them with two firearms. This is according to a law enforcement source. The incident took place on the 100 block of East Capitol Street, an area between the U.S. Supreme Court in the Library of Congress. A source tells CNN a suspicious vehicle raised concern among police and that a bomb squad is assessing the vehicle. Stay with CNN for more information on this situation, which obviously is developing. And be sure to tune in for CNN Tonight with Jake Tapper. He will be talking midterms and the economy with New Hampshire Governor Republican Chris Sununu, plus the man behind Bridesmaids, Ghostbusters ATC, and a new film on Netflix, director Paul Feig, He sits down with Jake. That's tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern right here on CNN. You can follow me on Twitter at John Berman or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. If you ever miss an episode of The Lead, you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Our coverage continues right now with Wolf Blitzer 
who was in the Situation Room. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.